0: Babylon is coming. Y'all need to get ready for Babylon. Now, he faced all kinds of problems during his ministry because obviously nobody wanted to hear that. The king didn't want to hear that. The governors didn't want to hear that. Princes, the government officials, none of them wanted to hear. The people didn't want to hear that. And so many times, and, and I'm I'm shoving a lot into a little here, Many times, uh, over and over again, Judah would give themselves to hearing anybody that would give them a word that would make them feel better about the immediate future. Anybody that would just confirm where they were at and and the fact that they were, yeah, there's a lot of idolatry going on, but God's still with us, right? Right? There's a lot of sin going on, but God's still with us, right? There's a lot of things we know that are not right in our lives, but hey, I mean, we're God's chosen people. He's still with us, right? And they would lend their ears a false prophet. And the whole time, here's Jeremiah with his message, just pounding and pounding again and again, get ready. Babylon's coming. I don't care what they said. I don't care what you think. I don't care if it resonates with you. Here's the word of the Lord. Jeremiah's message was this. Yes. Obey God. Yes. Repent, but surrender. Surrender to your immediate future, surrender to Babylon, and and later we'll find out that it'll actually be an incubator for you and for my people for 70 years. But there's this really interesting story towards the end. It's in actually chapter 36 that I want to focus on tonight. this interesting story where where God speaks again to Jeremiah, and he says that, uh, here's what I want you to do. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying this, Take the a roll of a book, and he said, "I want you to write therein everything." Now, this is years later. This is a minute. Jeremiah prophesied to to Judah over the course of five different administrations, five different kings. Okay, so so he's at the end of his ministry, and, and or towards it, and God says, "Take a roll of a book." find a scribe and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah. I, I can't remember what I preached like three weeks ago, so I don't even know how he did this. God had to just refresh it in his mind is what I'm thinking. So, so he says, write every prophecy that you prophesied against Judah and against all the nations from the day that I started speaking to you, from the days of Josiah, which was the first king, even unto this day. To the king then was Jehoiakim. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them that they may return every man from his evil way that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So the heart of God is this. Jeremiah, let's do this. Let's try it one more time. Take everything that I've ever told you and I want you to recite it to a scribe. That scribe is gonna write it down in a book. And Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Nera and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah, 36 and four, all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him upon the roll of a book. So for days on end, Jeremiah is reciting and Baruch is transcribing everything into a book. Now, The story goes on to see this. There is a problem. See, Jeremiah was not only not received, not only was his word disregarded, not only did people ignore him and opt for other folks that would tell them what they wanted to hear, he was also persecuted. He ended up in jail and horrible. When I say jail, we're not talking about nice places. In one place, he was was, uh, lowered down into a pit and the Bible says his feet sunk into the mire. Can you guess what the mire is? It wasn't pleasant. So Jeremiah was not only, you know, ignored, he was persecuted. And at this point, he's in jail, he's not got the freedom to go anywhere. So he sends Baruch. He says, "Go and you read everything that I that I spoke to you. Read that book in the temple. Go to church and read this to the people." And the Bible says tells us that when he did, it's got the people stirred up. They were convicted. They said, wait a minute, there's, there's something to be said here. And then, uh, in addition to that, the government, the Bible calls them princes, but they were basically government officials that were under the king. They heard it. They were, they were upset about it. They said, we, we've got to take this to the king. And so, uh, and I, I'm, I'm kind of going quick here, but but what they end up doing is they take it to King Jehoiakim. And the Bible says that in late autumn, verse 22 Chapter 36. The king was in the winterized part of the palace. I'm reading the New Living Translation. It clears it up for us a bit. He was in the winterized part of the palace. He was sitting in front of the fire to keep warm. And each time Jehudi, which was uh, his, his uh, servant, finished reading, he, 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 he commanded for this book to be read. And every time he finished reading, the Bible says basically three or four columns. Listen the king took a knife and he cut that section of the scroll and he threw it into the fire. Section by section. What convicted the people, what convicted leaders had no bearing on the king. And every time, three or four columns, he'd take a knife He'd cut it off and he'd throw it to the fire. And the Bible says he did it until the entire scroll was burned up. Even with all of his all of his advisors, all of the trusted voices, listen to me. All of the choice, the trusted voices in his life telling him, What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Admonishing him, please, King, don't do this. In in a blatant action of rebellion as crazy as this sounds it was like him saying page by page you want me to go after this this is how you want me to live this is what you say is truth this is what you say is going to happen brother Bruce it would have been like you or I taking page by page ripping it out and throwing it into the fire yeah read it to me let me hear it taking it out and throwing it into the fire now there's there as blatant as rebellious as this sounds i'm going gonna, gonna to i'm going to propose you tonight that this happens more often than we care to admit now none of us would tear any uh, none of us would tear any pages out of our bible would we would you would you tear i mean what part would you just tear out what what part? I, what part would you say? Yeah, that's not oh good. I'm not. That's not any good. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tear that out. None of us would blatantly do that. But let me ask you: How many parts do you ignore? How much of the Word of God do you know is there, but yet you don't follow it? Maybe even at the very worst, you don't believe it. Is it possible that we live in a day and age where people accept part of this, but not all of this? Where people are, choose bits and pieces. And dare I even say, is it possible, I'm just asking, that there may be people in this room, or online right now, that there are pieces of this that you don't like? let me just start there. Is there anybody here willing and and, and brave enough, honest enough to say, there's parts of this that you do not like. I will. There's parts I don't like. There's parts that would be easier for me to just kind of go around and ignore. There's part, anybody else, come on. Now that I've done it, do you feel better? You thought that was a trick question, didn't you? There's parts that would, it'd be better, it'd be easier for me. Let's just be really honest. It'd be easier for my flesh if it wasn't in there. It'd be more convenient if it wasn't in there. It fit my plans and my schedule, and if it, it fit my relationships, it fit everything that I'm trying. If it just wasn't in there, the truth of the matter is, it's a pretty easy thing to do. You may not be King Jehoiakim. You may not be tearing literal pages out of your Bible. But, ladies and gentlemen, if it's in there and you know to do it, and you're not doing it, the Bible says that's sin, amen? So it's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to get caught up in. Now there's plenty of promise in the word of God to claim. There's plenty of things in the word of God to be excited about, can I get an amen? Not a trick question. Is there plenty of stuff to be excited about? Is there plenty of stuff to make you happy? Is there plenty of stuff that, you know, could give you a hope in a future? Yes, there is. But there's also harder parts. Somebody give me an amen right there. There's also really hard parts. There's parts of the Word of God that don't feel too good. There's parts of the Word of God that cause me to say, like the old times, say, ooh, and ouch, and all that kind of stuff, right? They're uncomfortable. There's parts of the God, of the word of God that attack my personal sovereignty. I've got this way that I think things should be. I've got this idea of right and wrong and up and down. And there's sometimes the word of God comes in and says, your idea is no good. Here's what the idea that you need to follow. here's, Here's what you need to follow here. There's harder parts. I know this is not only possible, it is present. Paul dealt with this even way back in the New Testament. In Hebrews, he wrote, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're not even doing the basic things, he said. He spoke to the church, that's pretty rough. You're not even doing the basic things. You are like babies who who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Now, wouldn't that be nice if we could all just remain babies and just kind of drink milk all the time that's all we needed nothing else I mean that'd be kind of convenient I guess but the truth of the matter is for for a baby solid food is harder I remember that's a, that's a big transition for a child to eat to adjust to it to, to be able to digest but we all understand now hindsight anybody ever raised any kids is there anybody in this house that's raised any kids right? We understand that's a necessary time of growth. That's a necessary stage. If our kids are still drinking milk and that's it, when they're 9, 10, 11 years old, we're like, wait a minute, something's wrong. There's a, there's a part of development that is missing that needs to happen. It's necessary. So, so here's my question tonight and maybe the the, the real application of all of what I'm gonna say in the next few minutes. What happens with you when the word of God gets hard for you? What happens with you when when God's word collides with your intellect or with your plans or, or with you in general? What happens when God's word asks for more of your effort or more from you? What happens when it asks for less of your flesh or less of you? I believe this is the test, the, this, the, the sincere test of maturity for every single believer of what happens when God's word violates your sense of what's right. You can tell where somebody's at on the spiritual maturity map when God starts messing with them. And God starts telling them no. And God starts telling them, this needs to be better. And God started, and, 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 and their lives, now God gets into what I call the nitty gritty and God, God starts dictating things in their lives. You can always tell where people at when God's word, viol- what happens to you when God's word violates your sense of what's right, your sense of what's wrong, or your sense of what's expected. This is what I expect to happen. This is, these are the wrong things, these are the right things. Well, let me, just, let me just warn you, King Jehoiakim, you can't just cut it out. You can't just ignore it. Here's what I'm gonna promise you. If God's word is a lot, not allowed to win in those instances, now listen to me, in those instances where you know you're in conflict with the word of God, if you don't let God's word win, then if you don't give in, if you don't surrender, you will lead yourself into a way of thinking that says, you know what? If this stuff doesn't appeal to me, then I can just cut it out. Again, you're probably not gonna rip the pages out, but you will skip over them. You will never read that part again. And when they do, you'll turn it off. It'll be, it'll be almost like a second nature. My Lord, we don't ever wanna get there. If God's word is not allowed to win when it challenges you, then you end up in a very dangerous position. You can't just cut it out. We must learn to embrace God's word both when it confirms us and when it contradicts us. Got to embrace it both times. And and not only just embrace it, but realize its value. Now, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to value when God confirms us. It's easy to value when God says, you're you're my child. It's easy to value that when God says, I love you with an everlasting love. It's it's easy to, you know, the promises of God when we're confirmed and we're validated and we're lifted up by the word of God. It's harder when God says, you're the man. It's harder when God says, that's sin. It's harder when God says, I'm not pleased. It's harder when God says, submit. It's harder to find value in that. But I can tell you this. I'm just looking across this this crowd. There's a great crowd tonight. Just looking across this crowd and I could pick out people. There are people that know. They'll amen me here. They've learned to value the times where God told them no. There's people in this room that've learned to value the times where God said that's not right. And they realize that the end result was the same was the same as when God confirmed them about the, the great and positive promises of God, that even when God was negative and correct, the Bible says he loves those that he corrects. It's for purpose. Look at, look, look, at, look at heaven right now and just say, Lord, thank you for correcting me, amen? There, there's value in correction, so we gotta learn to embrace God's word when it confirms us and when it conflicts with us. Now, there's re- three reasons why you want all the word of God and not a cut down cheap version that makes you feel good. All right? There's three reasons. Number one, we want all of God's word because it's right and it will come to pass, All right? Put that down. Write that down, we want all of God's word because regardless of what we think, regardless of our ideologies, regardless of what we think intellectually, regardless of how great our arguments are, in the end, all of that will fail and God's word will prevail. God will accomplish his word. He spoke through Isaiah. He said, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It's not out there with no purpose. When I speak a word, it's because it's needed and it's because it's right. It shall accomplish, he says, that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. I want you to write this down. I think it's a feeling. In the end, nothing else will matter. I'm talking about the word of God. In the end, nothing else will matter. Your thoughts, your minds, your takes, nothing else, mine. nothing else will matter. We can all have opinions. We all got them, just like noses, right? We all got them. But here's the thing. The word of God is what's gonna determine the end. It's the only thing that matters. Man, I'm gonna tell you that. If I can just get you to go home with that tonight, we've had a great Bible study. That the only thing that matters in my life is the word of God in the end. Everything else will perish. The only thing eternal is the word of God in my soul. Now, Jeremiah said this in, in chapter one, verse 11. He said, about, he said, more of the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, well, I, I see a, a rod of an almond tree. And the Lord said, yes, you've seen correctly. And that is my word and I will hasten to perform it. He gave him a promise. He said, look, every word I have coming out of your mouth, it's gonna be performed. That's why we want all the word of God because when God speaks his word into our life, here's what we can, we can take to the bank. It will be performed. No matter how many arguments we have against it, no matter how many prophets that they could get to contradict Jeremiah, no matter how many people that they rose up, No it didn't matter the majority. The majority of Israel rejected Jeremiah. You hear me? The, the majority there are only a few that were listening. Boy, doesn't that, I mean, you look at our world today. Well, this, there's, there's, there's at least half of our nation that seems like they don't even believe in the word of God. I'm telling you, it does not matter. The Word of God is going to prevail. If, if we get down to this, and, and there's plenty more, please. I'm just being going to extremes for the purposes of illustration. If we get down to the end, and this church is the only church that's teaching the Word of God, and everybody else has thrown this book out, it will not matter. Because this will end up right. It's still the same today. Jesus said this, John 12, 48. He that rejects me and receives not my words, he's got one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now I want you to preach somebody next to you right now and tell them, say, you're gonna be judged by that word you're looking at right there. You will be judged by this word. You will not be judged by the edicts of this church. You will not be judged by me. You won't be judged by our leadership. You will not be judged by our denomination. You won't be judged. You will and I will be judged by the word of God. In the end, this is all that matters. And Jesus is his word. That's why he could say that, right? In the beginning was, come on, somebody help me, the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So it's not just that you're like, man, I just don't like how that's written. Listen, when you contradict this, you contradict Him. You I with me? This is Him. He is His Word. When we struggle with, when we contradict, or we ignore God's Word, we struggle with God. We ignore God. We contradict God. God. Everything he said to a prophet, Jesus did. Everything Jesus said to a prophet, everything he said through a leader, through apostle, and put in our Bible, it will come to pass. It is law and it is right. Jesus spoke himself in Matthew 18. He said, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till it be fulfilled." Profil- Fulfilled, He said not even a period is going to be laid aside. It's all going to be fulfilled. The smallest part, the iota, the smallest part, the smallest word, the smallest truth, every bit of it is going to be fulfilled. Everybody say, this is right right here. Point to your Bible. So we want all the word of God because it's right and it will come to pass. The second reason why we don't want to cut anything out We don't want to take our knives and throw pages to the fire. It's because we want all the word of God because we need its correction. I know you think you're good, but let me just tell you, you need God's correction. I need God's correction. I'm going to tell you when I need it every day. I need it on a a daily basis. God's got to get in my face every single, I know the rest of you are very holy, but God's got to get in my face every day. In fact, I get real nervous if God's not challenging me in some way. You ought to get nervous if God's not challenging you in some way. I mean, you think about how far, I mean, we're children of God, but you, we're talking just think about try and so you can't even get it in your mind, but the comparison between him and us, how could there not be another step to get closer to him? How could there not be a day where we ought not to be getting better and greater and closer? If he's not challenging you every single day, you better check your ears, you better check everything around you because you may have lost connection. I think there's a challenge every day for every saint of God to move closer and higher in his word and in his service. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. We need all of his correction. Well, let me just, let me back up. I want you to think, think, think back to the, the reality of, of what Jeremiah was saying. He was saying, look, here's the deal, folks. You either surrender they, they were besieged by Babylon, and he was, he was praying. He was begging Judah to surrender to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, you either surrender or, or he's going to come in here, and he's going to have no mercy, and he's going to burn this place with fire. And only those that, that surrender and go into captivity are going to have hope. Now, can you imagine? Jeremiah knows this is the word of the Lord, this is the word of the Lord. This isn't just you know. I think this is right. This is God's word. He, he he lamented over this message because he realized this was life or death. So he's called the weeping prophet. In fact, the best description I heard of him was that he was a tender man of steel. He was not afraid to speak the hard things of God, but he did it with a tender spirit and, and tears on his cheeks, so to speak. So so God's will, what we can learn from that is, is God's will and word in our lives is more than just a nice or better. That's what Christianity has kind of painted God's word as. Hey, this is this is a, live your best life. You ever heard that one, right? Live your best life for Jesus. And I'm not taking the way that you should live as greatly and, and, and the best you can for God. But I'm just telling you, this life was never Jesus's focus. I mean, you go, don't take my word for it. You read through the teachings of Jesus in the gospels. He did not focus on this word. In fact, he said, this, this, is, not my, this is not my kingdom. And he pointed them to eternal life. And so the mind of God is not just to make your life better. Although, I, want to, I always want to put this caveat in there. Is there anybody that can say that life in Jesus Christ is not better than the life before? I need to have just a ton of amens right there. Absolutely. But even aside from that, that's just extra. That's icing on the cake. Salvation is what Jesus is about. It's eternal life. This is about eternal survival. And we've got to appreciate all the parts that get us there, not just the comfortable ones. Amen? We need all the things that God has for us that work together to get us to eternal life. The the best I could do is, is I think about a car. You know, the parts of the car that we really appreciate are not the parts that we can even, that, 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 they're the parts that we can see. Like when you go buy a new car, very few of it. there's a couple of you, but very few of us like even open the hood, all right? We just assume that part's running. We look at the, the gadgets and, and we look, we sit down and anybody sit down, oh, this car is comfortable. Look, look at all the things, I can, I can do all this. We appreciate the things that we see, that we feel and we experience. Oh, look how fast it goes. Oh, you know, just all these things. None of us. We don't care about the greasy, grimy gears that are on the inside of that car. But I'm gonna tell you what, you let one of those greasy, you can tell I'm very technical when it comes to you know cars. You let one of those gears, you let just uh, the smallest part of a transmission go out. It's not, it's not pretty. It's covered in oil and grease. You let the smallest part of an exhaust system or the smallest part of an engine that you don't really even see, you let that go bad. You know what? Your seats don't matter anymore. I don't care if they were heated and cooled. None of that matters anymore. And so a lot of times, the reason I bring this up is I think a lot of people get this idea, I need a vehicle that gets me to heaven that's got heated seats and has got cooled seats. I need a power. Don't make me reach down there and actually have to pull up a lever and move that seat myself, heaven forbid. Right, we want all these gadgets and all these comforts. And then when God starts moving the things that we cannot see, we, we don't appreciate that at all. But what we don't realize is some of the things that, that, God, that we want to just kind of sweep under the rug, God says those are the most important parts. Those are the most important parts. It's not the great blessing. Let me say it this way. It's not that huge blessing of a house or a car or whatever he did for your life. That's not the greatest thing that God's ever done for you. Some of the greatest things that God's ever done for you is showed you where you were wrong. If you weren't, if you didn't know that, you couldn't be saved. You think about that. Think about it for a minute. You started at wrong. You started at a moment where you realized that look, This doesn't measure up to what God's saying. I got to do something. You started at correction. The greatest work of God in Bruce Melder's life was when he came in the middle of a Bible study to the realization, I'm not right with God. And God, in a moment of correction, turned him around. He did the same thing for every single one of us that have known the power of salvation in our lives. And so we've got to learn the correction part of God. Some of what is most foreign to us, some of what is most invasive to us, some of the word of God that is most contradictory to our flesh is what makes this go for us. We can't cut any of it out. We need all of it. Now, Paul speaks to Timothy in chapter, 2 Timothy 3 and 16, and I love this scripture. I've teached this scripture to our ministry team And I know I've taught on Wednesday night before, but I knew our kids were in here and I wanted to teach it to our kids. So if you've heard this before, just scratch it down like you haven't heard it because I really want to teach it to the young folks, all right? Here's what Paul says to a young person, a young preacher, a young Christian. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now I want you to fill that in, all, all scripture. Every bit of this given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, so Paul tells Timothy, every scripture is God breathed. God breathed. That, that word inspired means, by inspiration of God, means breathed out of God's mouth. Just like God spoke into the ears of Jeremiah and it came out of the mouth of Jeremiah into the ears of the scribe and down on the piece of paper. It is God breathed. So when you read your Bible, you need to understand that is not just a book. It's not a literary piece of art. That is God himself breathed onto a page for you to hear and understand. So every scripture is God breathed. The second thing he says is every scripture is profitable. Now, I got to tell you, sometimes that's hard for me to see in some scriptures, but I got to trust the word of God. Every scripture is profitable. For what? He tells us. It's profitable for doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine, very simply, is the instruction of what is right. Doctrine is the instruction of what is right. Ultimately right. When I say right, I'm not talking about right in the world's eyes or right in culture's eyes. I'm talking about right in God's eyes. What is ultimately right. Doctrine is an instruction of what's right. Reproof, and one translation says reproof and conviction, basically conviction of sin, is instruction of what is wrong. And so you don't need just instruction of what is right. You need to be told what is wrong also. Our world doesn't like that. The world doesn't like nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. It's all relative. But I'm telling you right now, the word of God will show you some things that are wrong. And we've got to allow it to do that. It's profitable for reproof and conviction of sin or instruction of what is wrong. And third, it is, it is profitable for correction of error. It used for correction. Correction of error and discipline in obedience. It's not enough. The Word of God will not just say, hey, you're wrong. The Word of God will tell you, hey, you're wrong, and this is how you correct it. So the Word of God is profitable for you. It's valuable to you because it gives you instruction on how to get right, okay? So, so far, we've got instruction on what's right, We've got instruction on what's wrong and we've got instruction on how to get right. And then the fourth thing it says that is profitable in is training in righteousness or instruction in righteousness. And so that's not just an automatic plateau that you hit and say, okay, I'm righteous, okay? God calls us all righteous, but then just because we're called it, now we got to learn to act like what God has said we are. That makes sense? We got to learn. God's given us a free pass and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna impute in you. I'm gonna call you righteous because of my work on the Calvary." Now your job is this: start acting like it. Learn instruction in righteousness, training in righteousness. Learn what I call right, and live like that. In uh, the, one, the Amplified version says, in "Training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity." to God's will in your thought, in your purpose, and in your action. And so if I gotta summarize all that, we get it's instruction on how to be more right. How to be more right, okay? So doctrine, it's what's right. Reproof, it's what's wrong. Correction, how to get right. Training in righteousness, how to be more right. How to learn to be closer to him. This is what a lot of modern Christianity is losing. They're losing this challenge of God for us to walk in His holiness, and learn of Him, and learn what He loves, and learn to love what He loves, and learn even what He hates, and learn to hate what He hates. To be like Him. Good Lord, they used to, the old timers used to write songs about that. I wanna be like Him. So we can't cut any of it out. We need all of it. And one of the reasons is we need it for because it's right. The second reason is we need it because we need that correction. And then the third reason is this. And I don't know what time it is. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're good. All right. So the third reason is this. We want all the word of God because we need all of its blessing. All of his blessing. So Jeremiah wasn't, he wasn't only a dark prophet. He did have some bright spots. I love, has anybody ever read Jeremiah 29? Do you know what I mean when I say Jeremiah 29? Does that ring a bell with anybody? Anybody ever heard that scripture, "For I know the plans that I have for you." That's Jeremiah 29. So Jeremiah and all of this, and all of this saying, "Look, you've got to surrender. Look, this place is coming down. Israel will be no more. You're going to go into captivity." But there is this wonderful, bright spot that Jeremiah says, look, if you'll obey and you'll surrender, you're going to find blessing that can only be found there. And there'll be blessing nowhere else. Jeremiah 29 and 4. This is worth reading. Get, get your Bibles out. I want you to read this. It puts into context that scripture. Jeremiah 29 and 4. Let's say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel Unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what he says. He says, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens and eat the fruit of them, take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you, to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall you have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. Neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. And then the scripture we've all heard. For I know the thoughts that I think to you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you and expect it in. Then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I'll hearken to you, I'll hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from all nations, from all the places where I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I cause you to be carried away captive. This is what I was talking about when I'm saying, I didn't have near enough amens there, about people who found blessing on the other side of correction. That even in correction, it was better in God's correction than it was in your personal sovereignty. That God's correction had more blessing than your rebellion could ever bring you. God prescribed blessing in His word of correction. In the captivity of Babylon, they were to, let's let's, just pull it apart here. Number one, they were to build houses and live in them. Now, I want you to understand they're captives, they're conquered. And they are in a barbarian land, an empire. But God says, I'm going to set you up. I mean, does anybody think that sounds hilarious? Has anybody ever read other parts of the Bible where other countries take over other countries? And they say, okay, here's what I want you to do. You'll be carried away captive. First of all, you're going to live. Second of all, hey, build houses and live in them. And not only that, uh, plant gardens and, and eat of them. Number two, plant gardens in need of them. Does that sound like captivity? Number three, get married. All the single people say amen. And after you get married, I want you to notice the order here. After you get married, have children. And then, number five, encourage your children to get married. So he said, have babies. And then tell them to have grandchildren. Have babies. Have grandbabies. He commanded them in captivity. On the other side of his correction, listen to me. He said, on the other side of your correction, you will increase, not diminish. And see, that's the problem we have with God's correction in life. We think God is taking away. We think that God is, is eliminating our fun. He's squashing the party. Listen, God, he said, I know my thoughts for you. They're not for evil. They're for good. On the other side of my correction, and what you're calling captivity, I'm telling you there's increase. You won't diminish. Number eight, and they were commanded they should pray for where they were placed. And in the prayer of peace for that place, he said they would have peace because they prayed for the city around them. We need to pray for our city, folks. I don't know if you know that or not. We need, I know you probably know, some of you don't like what's going on in America. There's about half America that doesn't either, all right? And it doesn't matter which side you're on. I'm just telling you, everybody's upset, but you know, here's what the church ought to do. We ought to pray for the peace of God over our nation. And the Bible tells them, it said, as you pray over your nation, it'll bring peace to you. Amen. So, so pray for where they were placed. And then they were warned that some would try to deceive them away from God's plan. He said, don't listen to the false prophets because I have not sent them. So we've got to make sure that we, we filter the voices that come into our lives. And do they, do they line up with the Word of God? And if you don't know, then stop the voices and get in the Word of God. Did you hear what I said? If you don't know if somebody's, if, if, if somebody's trying to give you spiritual advice or counsel, and you don't know if it lines up with the Word of God, then you need to cut the voice and you need to get in the Word. Because in the end, voices won't matter. The Word of God will. And if you don't know the word of God well enough to discern whether a voice is from God, then you need to stop all the voices and you need to get into the word of the Lord. Amen? So, so they, were, they were warned that someone tried to deceive them away from God's plan. But they were also, lastly, they were promised that God's plan would bring them out of that captivity 70 years later that he would gather from all the nations. We need all the word of God because we need all the word of God's blessing. So let me summarize tonight. God's word is hard sometimes, amen? It doesn't all feel good. It doesn't all, doesn't all confirm us. Sometimes it contradicts us, but we need it. And we need to learn to embrace it in both in both ways. We need it for its truth because it's going to come to pass. We need the word of God for its correction because there's a whole lot of heartache involved in avoiding hearing God's word. And we need it for its blessing because there is reward, biblically proven reward for obedience to his word. I think it's all summed up. James you know, James was a great pastor. He pastored a very... History says, pastored a large church in Jerusalem, leader of the New Testament church, wise man. Could be a little hard sometimes. I don't know if James, I don't know if y'all would go to church here if James pastored you. You probably wouldn't put up with that. He was hard at times. But here's what he said. He said, you know, you need to lay aside all your uncleanness, your rampant outgrowth of wickedness. You you, you need to just throw that to the wind. And in a humble gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word of God, which when implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. I read that this afternoon. I said, that's how we're going to end Bible study tonight. I want to welcome and I want to receive this word of God. Even when it hurts... Even when it helps, I want to value it and understand that this is what takes me to eternal life. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you, Jesus, for your word. God, you've even, you've put your word for us and in front of us to teach us of you. I thank you, Lord Jesus. We have this opportunity in your word to learn every single day more about you. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us tonight. In our spirits, let us have revelation, God, to understand how to embrace your word. Not just, Lord Jesus, in confirmation, but in correction, Lord. I pray in your name, God, that we would, that we would yes, accept all the benefits and all the blessings, but all of the correction. God, that we would never lose sight, Lord Jesus, that your word will stand forever. And your word, Lord Jesus, is what's the way in which we should live our lives. I praise you for that today, God. Help us to know it, to learn it, and to live it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you for coming to Bible study tonight. God bless you. Man, don't forget, I almost said Friday, Saturday night, 6 to 8 o'clock, bring some appetizers with you or snacks or whatever you want, and uh, let's have a great time together at the center. And then Sunday, don't forget, we're going to come together, have the Lord's Supper, great worship service. are going to hear the word of the Lord. We're going to have a great weekend. God bless you. Go in Jesus' name.